Welcome to Trucker Talks. This is your Trucker Talking. My name is Brandon. And the title of today's episode may have got you scratching your head a little bit. So, I can tell you that in today's episode, we're going to work through different sections of that title, and hopefully by the end, it'll make a little bit more sense. We're going to start with a couple of examples of the Would You Rather game. Maybe you'll recognize yourself as one of the people playing. Maybe you'll be the asker. Maybe you'll be the person who's not so good at the game. After that, we're going to take a look at someone who I think kind of wasn't that great at the Would You Rather game in a different context. And finally, we'll look at one final thought experiment that puts it all together. And we'll see if we can take a challenge to see things from a different perspective and keep the conversation going with Trucker Talks. Just beyond the plate, you see a bottle of tomato ketchup and a bottle of mayo. You only get to choose one. Which will you choose? Uh, why can we only choose one if they're both there on the table? that feels a little bit like the ketchup and mayo one we just heard. The person who's asking the question has formulated the question in such a way as to attempt to isolate a detail that they want information on. Which do you prefer if you can only have one, ketchup or mayo? But for the person who's answering the question, well... They're being very practical. They're thinking outside of the box. They're getting creative with it. But they end up not answering the question that 
the questioner is really asking. And is it is it just being indecisive? What's the miscommunication here? Well, let's look at one more example and then we'll try and dig into that, shall we? Let's try this again. You open your eyes and you're stood in front of a train track. And there's a switch in front of you. Now, if you pull the switch, you see a carriage full of school children will be diverted and crash into a very large man. The crash will stop the carriage, killing the large man, but will have diverted the school children away from the edge of a cliff, saving the school children's lives. Which will you choose? Flip the switch, kill the large man, save the children, leave the switch. The children die, but the large man lives. Uh, can I call the train company and have them cut the power to the train? No, it's, uh... You don't, you don't have the number to call the train company. Uh, maybe I know someone on the train. Can I call them and talk them through pulling the emergency brake or something? Uh, no, there's, uh, no, you don't know anyone on the train either. How long do I have? Can I call 999 and have them come and stop the train? Uh, you, you don't have your phone. You, you don't have your phone, okay? You have to, you have to just flip the switch or not. Just pick one. But I want to, I want to save them both, obviously. Come on. <sighs> this is impossible. Now, with this large man and school children problem, I think we can all empathize more easily with the person answering the would you rather question here. Because we all share that motivation. We're all driven to at least attempt to save both parties. Of course, that's what we want to do. But of course, for the person asking the question, you're missing the point. And it's not because of an indecisiveness, clearly in this example, because the person answering the question decisively wants to save both parties. And they're motivated to do so far more than they're motivated to choose one. And so the miscommunication lies in the fact that the person answering the question considers the constraints of the hypothetical to be the problem, rather than addressing the problem that is being plainly given to them by the questioner. Now, it's a nuanced problem in the case of the large man and the children. It's something like, do you value individual autonomy more or less than 
the preservation of the maximum amount of lives? And that's a really hard question to answer and likely we don't have a consistent idea on which of those we value more. But if we consider the hypothetical constraints to be the problem, then we're not talking about the same problem as the person asking the question. And so we're not really talking to each other at all. Now, for an example of this happening in real life, we're going to look at an interview that happened a few years ago and went viral with one Stephen Fry. It was in 2015 that the Irish TV network RTE released an episode of their show The Meaning of Life, featuring an interview with Stephen Fry. The final question posed to Stephen Fry in that interview was, assuming that the Christian God exists, and you were to die now and find yourself at the pearly gates before God himself, what would you say? And Stephen Fry replied with utter conviction and confidence. Bone cancer in children? What's that about? How dare you? And he went on to talk about the pain and suffering experienced by so many, everyone to some degree, on this planet. He talked about types of bugs that base their entire life cycle around burrowing into the eyes of children and digging their way out, causing blindness and agony, questioning what on earth could God have been thinking? Now, there is certainly something to be said for the compassion and also the vitriol and the, the passion itself that Stephen Fry brings to the subject, the emotional weight that he gives it. I am completely with him on those grounds. Who wouldn't be? But I do think that there's a way in which he is missing the point of the question. That he's talking past the questioner and refusing to accept the constraints of the hypothetical. Because let's think this through. The God that's being proposed that he is meeting at the pearly gates is the Christian God. Specifically, it was the Catholic God because they were talking about Oscar Wilde's conversion to Catholicism just before this question. And the interviewer said, assuming that Oscar was right, and you end up before the pearly gates. And this Christian God is a God who has particular attributes. This God is omnipotent, all-powerful. This God is omniscient. He knows all things. And he is beneficent. He is perfect 
morally. Which means there's nothing he can't do. He only does that which is morally optimum. And he knows the means by which those morally optimum events come about. Now that being the case, let's put ourselves there. We find ourselves stood before this God. Is how dare you? Really what's going to go through your mind? Because how dare you assumes that I, as the speaker before this God, could have done a better job than him. And that necessitates that this God is lacking in one of those three spheres. Maybe he's morally inferior. Maybe he lacks the power to bring about the moral good that he does know. Or maybe he has the power and the intention, but is just stumbling because he doesn't have the know-how. But naturally, that, that God, who is lacking in one or more of those attributes, is actually not a God that anyone believes in. He's a silly God who, sure, you know what? If, if that God is real, I'm with Stephen Fry. He's not worth following. He's not worthy of any of the praise or thanks that Stephen Fry assumes that he is asking for in the interview. It's not a strong God to refute. It's a straw man God. It's a silly God. Now, I realize that it may seem, looking at the world like, where is God in this suffering? It's nigh on impossible to face the suffering of the world head on and naturally come to the conclusion that God therefore exists. This isn't about an argument that God exists. Nothing here should even be slightly con convincing that God does exist. But within the confines of the hypothetical, we can assume that when we approach God and we've got all of the thoughts about the pain and suffering in our mind, and we will naturally ask, rather than how dare you, something like, why? Why all this pain and suffering? God would have a satisfying answer. We know that if we take the hypothetical constraints seriously. He would have something, some justifying clause or purpose for every single bit of suffering ever experienced that would be satisfying. 
Now, that might feel impossible. Fine, this isn't convincing anybody that God is real. But, within the constraints of the hypothetical, that is a necessity. This God is not a silly God like Stephen Fry is making out. Indulge me one more thought experiment. And this one comes from the writings of a Christian theologian named Anselm. And in it, he's speaking with a friend of his, and he poses the thought experiment. He says, You're stood before God, and he tells you, Do not look behind you. What do you do? And his friend replies, Well, of course I don't look. This is God we're talking to. I can't disobey him, especially in his very presence. And Anselm agrees, and then adds the detail. That God says, don't look behind you. However, if you refuse to look behind you, the entire world will be destroyed. Then what do you do? And the friend replies, I still don't look. Because this is God who has given me this command. How could I disobey? God in his very presence. Now this conclusion is one that a YouTuber named Alex O'Connor, known as Cosmic Skeptic on YouTube, attacked, accusing it of being relatively disgusting. It's a moral failure on the part of Anselm's friend. He criticizes the story as justifying one sticking to their own religious convictions, even to the detriment of the entire world, killing everyone, bringing an end to all potential, all human life. For what? The whim of a petty, godlike figure. Now, I'm sure you can see how just like Stephen Fry, there's an issue in accepting the hypothetical. Because if this God really is omniscient, omnipotent, and beneficent, then we know that when God says, don't look over there, but if you don't, the world will be destroyed. There must be, however impossible it is for us to conceive of it, a moral reason for him to give that order. And the world must be worthy of destruction in some way. Or, we can just say that that is not something that the Christian conceived conception of God would request. One of the two must be the case if we accept the hypothetical constraints.
Now again, that's not convincing for anyone, but I think it illustrates something. I think it illustrates that it's more difficult to put yourself in someone else's shoes than we might initially think. Because I don't think that Stephen Fry or Alex O'Connor are deliberately trying to misrepresent a Christian worldview. And to some extent, they're giving rhetorical answers, answers that express their passion and belief, rather than delve too deeply into the specific nitty-gritty philosophy. And there's room for that. That's a legitimate means of taking part in a conversation. But I do think that it's possible that they and we, all of us, are genuinely unaware of where we are misrepresenting the standpoint of someone we disagree with, even as we speak with them. And so my challenge, as we head out the door on today's episode, is to really try and dig into an opposing opinion. And that requires that we listen, and I mean really listen. Because the person who's speaking might not even be that good at articulating it, their belief, their opposing view. And so it's hard work to put ourselves in their shoes and maybe try and think of a better version of what they're proposing than even they have come up with yet. It's a technique that some thinkers and philosophers have recently been calling steel manning. Producing and helping your opponent produce the strongest version of their view and argument against your own. And I think it is when we are able to do that, that we will have the highest quality conversations. And it'll be worth keeping the conversation going. And that's exactly what we're going to do next time on Trucker Talks. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Now, if you listened to episode one, I hope that you're seeing that there are some relevant ideas that you can carry over into this episode and take on those challenges. But if not, there's no need to go back. I want to make it so that anyone can jump in at any episode and get something out of the podcast. If you are getting something out of the podcast, I'd really appreciate it if you could like, share, review, do all that stuff that you know how to do. You're online. You know what you're doing. Um, that would help me immensely get the podcast out there and keep the conversation going. I'll see you again next Saturday. Have a good one, folks.